Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. everybody welcome to oh all right i like the energy right although i i must confess i'm one of those people that sits in the seats on sunday morning or at any of these big events and when the person welcoming says good morning and everybody shouts good morning i'm like why do they do that Shh, let's get on with the show right yeah so good morning welcome to our our sunday worship here at grace bible church if you're visiting today um or you're just coming back from school, like Marissa, welcome. It's wonderful to have you here with us. Uh, if you're not familiar with me, my name is Shay Lesline. I serve here as a growth group leader at, at GBC, um, and I'm very happy that you could be here with us. Um, exciting announcements that I, got to, I get to share with you all before we get started. Everybody, real quick, this is the first time this has ever happened, but take out your phone, real quick, take out your phone, Open up the web browser and go to gbcelm.org. And you're going to see something new and different that you probably haven't seen unless you looked at our website since Wednesday. <laughs> we have a new GBC website. I want you all to see it. Uh, pastor Fox, our not-so-new media pastor, has you know, been very, very diligently putting this together. So, you know, all praises and complaints go directly towards him. <laughs> it really is good. You know, it's an exciting new thing that, that we've got going for us. I want to make sure that you're, while you've got your phones out and you're looking at this, checking out the resources that we have to offer here at GBC, share that with your friends. Share that with your family on all the different social medias at GBC Elm, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, you name it, share that stuff with everybody. It's a great way to share, share the, the forgiveness, healing, and hope that we have in Christ. Um, for anyone who's visiting here, if you're not already aware, um, we do most of our giving online. You can find that also conveniently at gbcelm.org give. For anyone who's not giving online, that's a great way to do it. Or we still have the secure lockboxes outside. Thank you for your generosity. And if you're just visiting, feel no pressure to give, all right? We're just happy that you're here to praise the Lord with us. Um, in other exciting and um, somewhat, in some cases, emotional announcements that we have, it's graduation season. I had the privilege of being here yesterday in the building for a home a homeschool uh, ceremony from a bunch of homeschoolers in the area. Very emotional time for everybody to see your kids grow up and just get on those next step of life. Um, there's a lot of tears there. I was ready already telling people it's just allergies. <laughs> I just have allergies, right? 
Um, so I know we've got some, some homeschooler graduates and other grads here. If you've graduated from high school, middle school, college, or any doctoral programs, would you please stand up real quick? Come on, Marissa, good. Come on, who else? Daniela, good. All right, all right. Congratulations, good work on all the, all the diligent studying and everything that you did. Um, you can find out more details about this in Grace Connect as well. And in other exciting news, the, the family, the GBC family is going to be incremented by one come December is Joel and Claire Meister are expecting their first. Where are Joel and Claire? Just, just Joel. Right, right. Good, good work, Joel. You know, every, everybody pray for Claire. <laughs> She's going to need it. <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, would everybody rise with me? Let's, let's take some of these things to the Lord in prayer as we prepare for worship this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we lift our eyes to you as you sit upon your throne in heaven. As the eyes of servants look to their master, we recognize that you are our loving provider who meets every need. You're the shield who protects us in the battles of life. You're the strong fortress that we take refuge in when the battles seem like they're too much to bear. You are El Roy, the God who sees. You see all things, you search our heart, and you know every nook and cranny of our hearts, Lord. And as servants, Lord, we look to you now and we confess that there's those dark parts of our heart that where we still harbor idols, parts that we haven't yielded to you. And too often, Lord, we wander into the darkness of worry. We worry about the financial things that are going on in our lives, the rising costs, inflation, car fuel, gas, Lord, the, the, the war that's going on in Ukraine, the shootings that we see far too often recently, Father God. Lord, all of these things, these are worries that lead us towards false lights of the world. Solutions and reasoning that seem good and beneficial and loving. However, they're very much like the anglerfish in the deep ocean. They're just false lights. They don't lead us to any real peace or safety, but Lord, they lead us to danger and destruction. Jesus, you are the one true light, the one path that we have for true comfort and peace. And your ways are the only ways that are true and good. And because you are the God of all who loves, we bring up concerns and petitions to you now. Lord, with all the shootings that have been happening, we pray for the victims. Lord, we pray for the families. Lord, we pray for the people who have been there to witness these terrible, awful tragedies. The emotional and psychological scars that they may be carrying with them for their lives. And Lord, as a healer, we beg that you would be with them, that you would provide them comfort and healing and hope, Father God. That you would lead people in, the, in their lives that can help bring them closer to the, to the healing that you have. Father God, we think of the upcoming Vacation Bible School and the preparations that are happening here at GBC and, and, around, and around the world. Lord, there, we pray for the hearts of the young children who are going to be coming here and for all the adult leaders who are busy planning this ministry of your gospel to them.
that you would prepare their hearts to receive you, Father God. Lord, you are so good, and we praise you for the graduates that are in here, the joy that they bring their families. We praise you, Lord, for the teachers and their parents who have guided them along the way. We pray that you continue to bless them with with wisdom and that you guide them on the next steps in the paths of their life, that they may honor and glorify you in the things that they do. And Lord, as we continue in worship this morning, we ask that you would be with us the rest of the time, that your Holy Spirit would lead us in worship through song, through pastor's message, and through fellowship with one another. And all God's children said, Amen. Wonderful, wonderful. Now that the children are gone, can we talk about a repressed set of memories I have? It's a time of my life, and I'm just going to guarantee that it's a time of most of our lives, where we're not at our best. Maybe it's a horrific time for some of us. I'm talking about middle school gym. Sorry, Ryan. But I'm aware that there's, very, there's a few over-athletic people in our congregation and with us that probably who succeeded in this avenue. But those people who could probably climb a rope, do the pacer tests, uh, even our presidential fitness test, whatever you want to call it, I'm not one of them. Big shock. But I have one very specific memory from gym class in middle school of um, basketball day. So let's paint a picture. Make sure you understand. Because I want you to understand how the terror I felt on this basketball day. Um, I went to a very tiny school. Very tiny school. Petite. So it, in um, that year in gym class, they decided that we're going to divide up teams for the semester. That's when I was put in a difficult position. Because me, Adam loves sports. Adam is, loves watching sports, talking about them. Can he participate in sports? The best description I've ever gotten was, he's a try-hard person. <laughs> That's code for you're not good. But there were four students in my class who loved basketball and played on a team outside of school. But to play basketball, you need five people. So they were trying to get the fifth person and talking among themselves for this game, for this for their team, so that they could succeed and win. And apparently, I just hit my growth spurt. So I was considered tall. Yay. So they wanted me for their team because I was tall. And in their mind, tall means good. I was not good. I was not good at all. And they learned in a very important life lesson that moment. You need to surround yourself with the right people, not just the tall people in life. There's a similar life lesson we're going to talk today about with Gideon, here to illustrate that point for us. As you know, we have been working our way through the book of Gideon in our study, in the book of Judges, in the study of Gideon. And today we're going to be flushing out a single concept that we need to have the right people by your side. The main concept of our, t- of our time together is going to be simple. Choose carefully who is on your team. Choose carefully who 
who is on your team. Our single thought that I want to try to build upon. So let's open our Bible and go through chapter 7, verses 1 through 2, please. Early in the morning, Drubbabel, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley of the hill near Merab. Of Morah, the, the, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands, or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. So, in helping us learn this important life lesson of choosing carefully who's on your team, we need to take the first step by understanding, pick the submissive past the self-reliance. Pick the submissive past the self-reliance. Passing on the self-reliance, or the boastful, of your life and out of your decision-making is kind of a really important first step. But how do we do that? Well, let's look at Gideon first. As we can see this, first off, this reminder from God to Gideon, to the general. Oh, no, it's not Gideon. It's Jerubbabel. But is it Gideon? Yes, it's the same thing. But we have to make sure, why does God remind Gideon that he's referred to, known as Jerubbabel? Simply because this earlier name that God gave him is the one who grapples with Baal. That's what Gideon did when he tore down that, that altar at night. He's the one who grapples. A great, really, reminder to, to, from God to Gideon that you are going to do great things. You are that person. You will lead this army. If there was, as we saw from last week too, Gideon still had some doubt that he was wrestling with, that he needed to be reminded of it. But God is the one who chose him to grapple, to fight with evil. But as 7.2 shows us, Gideon still has this great faith-doubt mixture in his tummy that he's working through. That he's not only going into battle against an enemy who is not confident in winning against, despite laying out a fleece twice. And having a fighting force, Gideon had a fighting force of respectable size respectable, cozy maybe even, size of people. And then God tells him, you have too many men to win. You hear that right? Too many men to win. You have too many resources at your hands. Oh no, this is not a problem that you, should, you would think would come up in life. But the problem really is not that he the army size in detail, but mostly that the problem is of one of self-reliance or of arrogance buried underneath this reminder from God. The army of Gideon was around 32,000, and I'm guessing, the military strategist that I am, if the right circumstances were to be around for Gideon and the army of God, with expert timing and a little bit of luck, they could probably squeak out a win. Perhaps. If they did win, if they did somehow sneak a win out against Midian with overwhelming odds against them, the pride and boastfulness that would come from the camp of Israel would be huge. The Hebrew here is important because I want to make sure we understand pride. Because this pride or boastfulness that we express in the setting, it is not pleased or happy side of boasting. It's not the pleased side. I'm not happy on this type of thing. That's not the use I want to make sure you understand. The pride that I use here is to glorify yourself. And that's 
is the trouble when, of these type of people that we sur could surround ourselves in life, the self-reliance, the people that want to glorify themselves instead of giving back to God for what is that. And that's exactly the type of thing that Gideon is trying, God is reminding him of. And if this were true, if Gideon and his men were to upset this Midianite army, the self-reliance, the arrogance from that camp would flow like Diet Coke and Mentos, probably. Gideon might be considered one of the greatest generals of all time if this were to happen. It probably would go Gideon, Bonaparte, George Washington, Organa Solo. Those are the top four. Those would be the, but this is not what's going to happen. This is not really what happens instead. Because if they did this, they would claim the victory would be from them. Not God giving it to them. They would claim credit to this rather than giving God credit for God delivering this enemy. And that is important. And that's the danger when we surround ourselves with people who are arrogant and self-reliant. These people who are in our lives, who are in our decision-making, help us believe that we don't need anyone else's help. You can do this. You're more than talented enough you don't need to ask, talk to God. You don't need to ask anyone else's help. Don't worry about it. That is not true. That's arrogance. That's dangerous. The people who tell us that we don't need these help, or don't, you know, you know, or even worse, as Adam mentioned last week, just do it and ask for ask for forgiveness later. Just go on and do it. No one will care. These are dangerous. But do they sound familiar? Or do you have people in your life that give you this type of wonderful advice? That are you surrounded by like this? Are you like this? People that don't need help. They don't need God. Are your, is your inner circle surrounded by these type of people that are self-reliant? That keep us isolated from God? And people who are filled with fear. Because that brings us to our second type of people we need to avoid. We need to pick the lion-hearted past the faint-hearted. Look at verse 3 with me, please. Now, uh, now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So, in order to teach Gideon to rely on God, he is telling him to go into battle against the Midianites, who are better prepared, more soldiers, better training, I'm willing, I would even throw in there too. But now he has to send home anyone who wants to go home. Cool, 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 cool. This is going to be a great fight for Gideon. It's two-thirds of his army. Take up that advantage proclamation and leave. Dwindling him down to a fighting force of 10,000 people. So it made me wonder this past week, why did the 23,000 people come and fight in the first place? Why did they go to battle if they didn't want to be there? Were, if they came, if they were scared and terrified too much to even go and do, why'd they go? Was it for God and country? Peer pressure? Was there like a draft? 
Did Gondor call for aid? I don't know. It's a Lord of the Rings joke. Some of you will get that. But I don't really know why they came in the first place. And that's what bothers me. We don't know that this two-thirds of these troops were terrified and not having the courage to fight for God. Friends, we can't have those type of people in our life, the people who have the same fearful nature. And I'm talking to myself right now, too. I can't be surrounding myself, nor can we, about having people who are scared, who are too fearful to do anything, who are not bold warriors of Christ. The meek, the terrified, maybe even the overtly cautious. That is not what we need. We have to pick the lion-hearted people to surround ourselves with. The bold, not the faint-hearted. It's easy to be paralyzed by our fears and anxieties. I understand. To stay in the safety of the middle. Never branching out, never say anything, to do anything that would cause, ruffle, cause people to question you cause an argument, to ruffle feathers. It may not mean not even growing in your walk with Christ, not developing your spiritual gifts, maybe not even bothering to volunteer, because that could be volunteer in a church, you know, VBS and such. That would cause too much of a growth. That would cause too danger. That might be too dangerous. You should just sit back and, you know, punch the clock at 10.15, leave at 11.30, see you next week. That's our type of people who are fearful. The people, maybe even it should come down to, as Shay mentioned already, being willing to just hit the share button on your social media. Because even baby steps like that cause you to step out for Christ and tell other people, yes, this is where I go to church. This is what I'm proud of. These are the take an opportunity to share with anyone who is hurting. Talk with them. Help them. This is, these are the type of things we can do if we're not frightened terrified. We can't have these people in our lives. We need to be bold, not fearful, with the knowledge that we have God with us. I kept being reminded this week, two times it came up in, in my own in my uh, devotions, so I thought it was important that God was actually telling me to say this. So it kept reminding me of that quote by William Carey. Let me just make sure I thought somebody would shout it out by now. Expect great things from God. You need to attempt great things for God. If you want to be this bold example of Christ, you have to willing to attempt. Are you going to be perfect at doing it? No. That's okay. You're still willing to talk with the person who's hurting. You're still willing to share, to be example, to have volunteer, to help out the message of the gospel of the church. That is what we need to do. We can't just keep it, keep our life secret, our Christianity, our belief a secret keep ourselves safe. That's not what God tells us to do. That's what God is weeding out in this battle here. We need people who need to be bold, dependent on God in our life. Definitely not the distracted, because that's where our final point is we're trying to understand today. We need to choose carefully who's on our team. Because we look for, already seeing that we need to have the submissive, not the self-reliant. We need to have the lion-hearted, not the faint-hearted. Now, pick the observant. Pass on the ob obvious. Oblivious. So, the question is, how does having an observant supporter look like? What does that look like in our lives? You know what an ob 
observant person in our life would help us and look like, to a person who's willing that can talk with us, that we can share with about the struggles that we are going through in our life, in our life, who know us, who know the situations that we are in, and will willingly give us the correct advice, even though it might be hurtful, but willing to tell us the direct truth of what is important to us, not giving us these hard, important truths in love. These are the type of people we need. I'm thankfully surrounded my life. I've gone through many a dark chapter of my life where I've just paused and like, hey, Ethan, you got a minute. Ethan, you got a minute, minute to talk. I needed, and then he'd be willing to just listen. We need to surround ourselves with people like this. Imagine this. Ethan's not his real name. Just don't worry about it. But with God telling Gideon this, that we need to allow these people who want to leave, these 22,000 people who are frightened, down to his force of 10,000 people, it would be fine. But you know what? That army's still too large. Yay! So the temptation of, the, of Israel to have this battle and to be with a too great, this too, this too realistic size army is too dangerous for them. God is still trying to teach Israel, still trying to teach us about us. So he wants one more time, sift out the soldiers. And in 7-4, but this time, how Gideon does it is unique. I'll tell you that. So and this is what goes down to, because to me, choosing these type of people who would go into battle, I'd be tempted to pick the soldiers who are the prime ages and the peak physical abilities. That would, I, that's how I would do it. Instead, you know, like uh, the old, no, no, you can go home. Oh, you're too young? You can go home. The unathletic? Go home. You know, just sort out these people. The, you know, these, tell, tell the, you know, whatever. Sort them out until you get the good, you know, the athletic strong ones. The others. You guys can go home. That would, but God is not me. And thankfully, we're all thankful for that, God has a different way to determine who stays and who goes. It comes down to how you drink water. So look, it's verse 7, 5, the water test. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues, as, do as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. This is weird. Just putting it, this is not the weirdest thing we're going to see in Gideon, though. Just putting it out there. We've already seen the reverse fleece. Next week, we're going to see, well, you'll, uh, spoiler, I'm not going to tell you what you're going to see next week. But it's a really good and delicious story. But here, here we go. God wants to take all 10,000 people to stop and drink water. And however many people scoop the water up and lap it with their tongue like a dog. That's your guy. Who drinks water like this? So we're going to go down to lapping versus kneeling. Let's talk about the dog, the dog lickers first. The common thought is that uh, they scooped up water in their hands and drank it in like a little cup manner. So that they, they could do it this way because they would be, they could have their weapon in the other hand. So they could drink 
while still be looking around and ready to weapon somebody. That's the common thought. You know what? That makes sense. That makes sense. While the kneeling people might not have such awareness, as in they would go down to their knees, stick their head in the stream of water, and drink. Now, I don't know which category you'd fall into, and that's between you, but I'm just saying right now, if I'm tired, hot, and thirsty, I don't care what I look like when I drink water. I'm getting the nearest beaker, glass, jug, and just pouring it into my mouth. If it overflows and drips down my beard, that's fine. If it's warm, stale water, that's fine too. If it doesn't have ice, great. I want to drink as much as possible. I'm probably a kneeler. I thought about that this week. I probably would go to my knees and just dunk my head in until I'm done. Now, I thought about that. My wife's the opposite. When we've gone, you know, come back from exercising, I've seen her. I just go and grab the water that was two days old and just drink it. Andrew goes and gets a clean glass, goes, gets ice cubes, makes sure that she, the water is as cold as possible from the faucet, and then carefully, cautiously drinks it until she cools, until she's refreshed. Pretty sure we would not be in the, we'd be in separate camps. She'd be willing to go and fight, and I'd be at home. I'm just saying. But... I would be a distracted person, a person who is oblivious to what's going on. And because to me, the most important thing would be the water, not what's going on in life, not going what's on in my heart and what's in the world or for, or for everyone else. And sadly, after this water test, their army is down to 300 people, less than 10% if I did the math right. Uh, how do you think Gideon is feeling after this? Seeing his giant army down to 300 men. How would you feel if you were in Gideon's sandals? Scared? Worried? Content? Thankful? Well, 7-7 shows us the most important reminder from God for, and for Gideon and these 300 soldiers. One that we need to keep fresh in our head as well. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that have lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all others go home. I will save you. The most important reminder God made to his general for this promise, I will save you. With these 300 people, God will defeat the Midianite army. But here's the thing. While this way of drinking water seemed arbitrary to us, Probably is. Gideon, God could have said, you know what, whoever is born in the month of August and June, come forward. Whoever is blonde, come forward. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how God, that's not the most important part. This is showing that God could have taken any arbitrary way to separate these things. And the 300 are what, this is what about what God is able to do through us. It's not about the water drinking thing. That's not how we're sorting, going to sort out leadership next year either. Okay, this, that's not the point of this. It's about how God can do great things through us to who are willing. Because this battle, they have, while it may be just 301 people versus an army, they have Emmanuel with them, God with us. They were not, those who are not self-reliant, those who are not afraid, those who are not oblivious, weren't there. They, they were able to do great things with God. So, is your team 
that way. Surrounded by godly men and women who are there to support you and help you. Are they oblivious to what's going on in your life? Do they know the situation that you're struggling in? Can you talk with them freely? Will they actually give you advice that's helpful? Or are they too easily distracted of, they could just, oh, you know, they just got a new puppy. I, they're not going to give me good advice. Or they're too bitter about this subject. I can't talk to them about that. What kind of people do you need and do you have in your life? We need to be able to take our problems to God and be able to have the people in our lives point us towards God and give us the godly surrounding ourselves with these characteristics that we've been talking today. Men and women of God who hold us accountable. Who know that we are tempted by sin just as much as anyone else and need to be pointed that out and maybe kicked in the butt a few times verbally. These people in our life matter. We need to be, choose carefully who's with us, who's on our side. Well, people learned back in middle school that in gym class, they soon found out I cannot play basketball. I offer six fouls and a good hand high five. That's really about all I got. That's, and they found out that for the rest of the semester, they had a 100-pound anchor on their team. But you know what? They learned to, to people carefully in your life, just as we need to. Surround ourselves with people who are vital for our growth, for our emotional health, for our spiritual health, for our mental health. Help us illustrate that. I'm going to, Miss Pat, you ready? Miss, we're going to have Miss Pat Apisano is going to hear, we're going to talk to us for a few minutes. Now, everyone should, should know Miss Pat. She's been in countless of our growth groups. She is, her and her husband Don actually served me um, cookies this morning. Yeah. Coffee and cookies. Exactly. There you go. Perfect. So let me, we're going to tell, how long have you and Don been here at Grace Bible? Uh, almost two years. Two years, all right. You were, the other day we were talking in my office, you were telling me about, you came here two years ago, you and Don, that you were struggling pretty greatly. Yes, I had terrible anxiety. Uh, a few things happened in my life. I, my purse was stolen. My husband's angioplasty went wrong. And I quit smoking after 55 years cold turkey. Wow. All right. And went right off the deep end. Yeah. And your anxiety peaked because of these things. Terrible anxiety. Right. Couldn't function. A mess. Since you've been here for these two years, tell us what it's been like now. Well, with, now that that you've been in with the, the church and your close, your own um, close friends, Roxanne Ovens and her family—they're my our neighbors. I sent my husband over there. I knew they were good people. I'm an only child. I had no brothers and sisters. Three cousins that I had went the other direction, and I had nobody to help. So I sent him over there to ask them if they could help me, and the whole family did, and brought us to Grace Bible Church. And everybody has been wonderful to me. I've met such wonderful people and good friends, Marty and Arlene and George and Mary Rocha and Candy and Wayne. I mean, Phil Curtis and Dan Keel came in and helped fix my house when my husband, when my son went, went through the wall. I mean, I, I, I'm so blessed. If I didn't have anxiety, I wouldn't have found you. 
and makes me feel that 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 God sent it to me to find all of you and I, I'm so grateful. We're grateful as well. Now, I told you I was gonna ask you this one. What if you never went over to Roxanne's house? How would your life be any different Then you didn't have these close team of supporters? Oh, I'd be a mess, I'd be a mess. I don't even know if I'd be here. I don't know, I don't know. I, I'd be a mess. I'm, I feel so much better. I, I don't know what would happen. I don't know, God knows. Well, thank you for sharing with us, Ed. Thank you. You did wonderful. Thank they were glad you're here. Ted is a great example of the type of people we need to have surrounded our life with. These people who are pointing us towards God, not the self-centered, selfish ones that pull us away from God. These are Ted is a life story is the perfect example for that. We need people who are committed to help us, even if it means giving us hard and difficult things to say. Life's and walking us through these life's difficult and dangerous people moments. So, the question is simple: Are you those type of people? These type of people that we've been talking about today. Do you have a type of godly team that so can support you in everything? From pointing you towards God. Or are you a type of person who is pulling people away from God in your life? Do you have these people in your life who are the negative, bad sources of help that pull you away from God, pull you away from your time with him and your, your worship time of him? Who, surround, who are you surrounding yourself with? Looking back at our points today, we need to make sure we pick, on the, pick the submissive and pass the self-reliant. Pick the lion-hearted, pass on the faint-hearted, and pick the observant, pass on the oblivious. And as great, we, and most importantly, the hidden secret fourth point that you are just now learning about. You need to make sure Jesus is the center of your life for that. These are, great, these, are the great, these are great steps to surround yourself and build great character. But if God is not the center of your life in everything that you do, these are just nice things to say. This is something that you can say if you've never accepted the Lord as your Savior. This is a great day to do it. So let me pray, and then we'll continue our worship time. Father God in heaven, we give you thanks for this opportunity to learn from the life of Gideon, knowing that we need to surround ourselves with people that point us to you, that help us understand that we need to be growing in our relationship with you, not people who pull us away from you, not people who teach us how to do wrong and, and to dwell in our sin and are, keep us isolated from you and from those godly brothers and sisters in our life who uh, want to help us. Teach us to continue to seek you in everything that we do, including our relationships. You know me, pray. Adam, thank you for bringing that message. It was wonderful. You know, I stand here and I look out at, at our army. We have a general. In the book of Judges, each one of those judges that God rose up was a picture of the Messiah, was a picture of the coming Jesus. And just as Gideon was the savior of the Israelites through his 300, our savior, Jesus Christ, might be, maybe, maybe he's the one who saved us through our 300. That our church here, that this is our army, this is our team, and we have a responsibility to be submissive to the Lord and not relying on ourselves. To be observant, knowing that there's a battle going on out there. 
And so each month we come together and we remember our great general, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the pioneer, the one who went before us, Jesus Christ. And so you should have gotten a cup. On the top, there's a cellophane. You're going to pull the bread out first and then a second seal. You're going to take the juice. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he rose it up. And after giving thanks for it, he said, this is my body given for you. Every time you eat of this, remember me. Likewise, as the cup was passed to him, he gave blessing of the cup and he rose it. He says, this is my blood shed for the remission of sins. Jesus' blood has forgiven you when you place trust in it. And so what I want you to do is the music is playing. I want you to take a moment with you and your Lord. Ask him, where in your life are you not living according to his will? What is it that you need to confess? And listen to what he has to say. When you've been made right by your faithful confession and by Jesus' faithful forgiveness, I want you to take the elements on your own. And then we'll stand and we'll praise our general together. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this bread and this juice. And especially, Lord, for what it symbolizes, the body and blood of your dear son, Jesus. Lord, make us look to him in everything. Help us to sense him today in our communion. And Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on our behalf. May this moment with you be special. May you prepare us for the coming week. And may we give you thanks for the week that you've blessed us with. In Jesus' name, amen. A lot of hard decisions to make this week. A lot of people, a lot of friends to analyze. Decision-making people. The support team in our life. Are they here to support, worship God? Are you here worshiping God primarily in your life? Or letting other things interfere? Not easy, but that's what we're here to call for. Let me pray for us as we go about. Father God in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to be there this week, to be here to worship you. Help us take that life in moments, in every moment we give this week to worship you. Thank you for the people in our life that are here to support us and point us towards you. Help us to cast out those people who don't. Your name we pray. Amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.